Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. What's up, people? It's your host of the Unleashed Podcast, Jake here. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to everyone that is watching all our episodes, liking and subscribing. We really appreciate it. If you are new to the show, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button or a like and check out all our episodes. It's been an absolute joy. This episode we're showing today is with an AFL legend, Jeff White, who has actually been on a a crazy journey post his career, going through some challenges and tribulations. But he's come out the other side and he speaks really vulnerably about his mental health in his own podcast and you'll find in this episode there's so many nuggets there to help you in your life so I can't wait to share it with you so let's get into the episode the ball straight run up now he angles it somewhat Barkadash where I start it's been up and down I remember being a kid I can see that happening that's always something to do the unlaced unlaced podcast it's actually not bad And we're live. We're back on the dance floor, everyone. The Unlaced Podcast. It's been a hell of a year, 2022. Uh, before we get into today's show and guests, I, as I always do, I just want to thank everyone that's been tuning in, subscribing, and listening to all the episodes. Um, I put out a, a story today just, you know, announcing we, we want to get more business people on, more creative people. If any of you guys have any suggestions on who we, who you'd like to hear on the show, please let me know. We'll try to get them on and do our best. Um, but today's, today's a really exciting episode because I actually – knew of this man when he was an AFL footballer and uh, always admired him because he was always the tallest bloke on the field, but um, uh, definitely came to connection with him or reconnected with him via his social media and, and I guess kind of seeing what he was putting out in the atmosphere, which was a whole bunch of positivity, a whole bunch of wellness and perspective on life, which I found really interesting and quite insightful. And then funnily enough, the man uh, created his own podcast on this, which I've been listening to. So uh, really excited to announce Melbourne Demon legend, ex-AFL legend, Jeff White. Thank you for giving us your time, mate. No worries, Jake. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Uh, yeah, good time too with the Demons winning last night. So <laughs> I know, really right? Well. Mate, how's, it must have been um, pretty surreal for you kind of watching the last 10 years and then sort of the last two, three years and, and obviously now going forward, they're kind of like the team to beat. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it, it's quite interesting when you go back a couple of years ago and I, I you know, followed as a fan now with my kids and in an unders and on paper they look good, you know, but it's just a, a, about connection, I guess, and keeping healthy and having those players on the field and they need to really improve their foot skills and they did that. They, they corrected it and obviously the result speak for itself last year and, yeah, they're playing great footy. They've got a good nucleus of players, but I always say that you've got to keep healthy to, to get to the, you know, to, to actually win the premiership and that's what they did last year. So they just got to maintain that healthiness this, this year. Definitely. Did you see it coming? Because like a lot of people kind of with the drafts, they had Oliver's, Petraka's, all these guys, and then you had kind of Gorn coming through and maturing. Did you kind of foresee it coming or did you still think it was a lot of work to, they had to get the right person in, build the right culture and stuff? No, I think no. The, definitely, the definitely on paper they had the side. I mean, when you look at when you look at a spine, you always go with the spine. What I mean by that is uh, full back through to full forward in your midfield. And if you go through each of those positions on the field, uh, it's it stacks up. I mean, majority of those players made made the All Australian last year and the year before as well. So they had the nucleus there to to do it, and they just had to put it together. But like I said, you needed to stay healthy, and when you have that. 
when you're predictable for one another and everyone's playing together, it just it makes it so much easier. You can, you know, if you have a, a couple of players go down, it's you, you know you introducing new players. You don't know how they play. It's such an instinctive game. So you've got to stay healthy. Definitely. Uh, can you give us? I'm sure there's some Melbourne fans listening in. Can you give us a bit of insight into what Jeff White's household was like uh, after that big win against the Bulldogs in Perth in the, in the granny? Uh, well, actually, at the, I was actually at the golf club, and um, yeah, it was it was pretty entertaining in the first quarter. Very quiet for the second. Uh, very quiet for the first half of the third quarter, <laughs> and then it erupted like a like a yeah. And it, I, I think it was such a special moment. I I broke for St Kilda as a kid, so I never got to witness a, oh, God, a premiership. Me, me too. <laughs> yeah, and then played for Fremantle in Melbourne, had the opportunity to play in the grand final of 2000 and we missed out. So I never really experienced that even as a kid, never, and as an adult and as, as playing as a professional athlete, never got the experience that. So to sit there with my three boys and, and witness something that we haven't done in 57 years was, was truly very special and um, something I'll never forget. Absolutely. Now, all your boys are actually Melbourne fans, I assume? They, they, none of them sort of. Yeah, they are. Okay, yeah, well, that's yeah, handy. Then. Yeah, even though we live on the, go- even though we live on the Gold Coast, um, yeah, they've been red and red and blue for you know since they were born, pretty much. Okay, well, a lot of people don't know this about you, probably pre AFL, um, but you're actually quite big on your basketball, and I think that was one of your yeah. sort of more interested sports growing up as a kid. Like, what sort of grew your love for that? And do you still do you watch basketball now? Are you still into it as much as you were back then? Yeah, massive Chicago Bulls fan and have been. My dad went to I, – I don't know, I just picked up basketball when I was a kid. I, I think with my athleticism and I could jump. I mean, I was dunking when I was in year nine. <laughs> so wow. I – yeah, I know. So I had I had that athleticism from a young age. So I think, um, you know, I was playing I was playing state basketball, Bayside Blues at the time. I think they're still called that. But Bayside Blues when I was like nine years of age, ten years of age, and footy was almost like a hobby. But then my dad went over to Chicago for, at the time he was working for Pepsi and 87 had a conference. You know, there's no social media back then. Uh, you know, you rarely get any activity or any news from the States. He came back with the Bulls 23 and said, look, this guy's going to be massive. It's all over Chicago. It's all over the billboards. You should follow him. And yeah, that was it. That was the, that was the hook, line and sinker for me. So started following it very passionately, but when I got to the age of 15, when school became very serious, basketball was three, four times a night. Uh, training was three, four times a week. Footy was starting to get that way. I needed to make a decision. And, yeah, it was uh, that's what I needed to do and finished up playing, I guess, state basketball when I was 16 just to solely focus on on, on footy. Well, you, you probably – I mean, I'm not going to say you made the right call because God knows what you would have been in basketball, but you went pick number one <laughs> in 1994, the, <laughs> the <laughs> AFL draft, which is, you know, the – the most prestigious uh, position to get drafted in, of course. But I want to go back to yeah. that moment for you because, one, how big was that? And obviously Fremantle at the time were a you know, brand-new franchise essentially into the AFL, which obviously now yeah. my generation can relate to a little bit more because we've seen GWS and Gold Coast. But what was that sort of period like for you? Uh, well, it was quite, it was quite different. Um, we had That was the first year of the national draft uh combine so the training thing it was a, and we did it out of, it was out at waverley and so that was in 94 it's showing my age right now <laughs> but that was the first year it actually was the inaugural year of that training camp and i was running with uh, jason akamanis and so we there was a period of time where you do the beep test you do all the 
you know, the jump test, you do the sprint test, all that sort of stuff. And then there's a period of time where it's about an hour where I don't know if they do it now, but you would have to sit like in the table, sit in a, like a lunchroom area or whatever. And you'd sit down and talk to all these the AFL coaches, AFL um, draft, all the recruits, all that sort of stuff. Jason Akimenez and myself stood there by ourselves, sat there by ourselves. No one came near us. Really? Little did I know he was already he was already scheduled for Brisbane Lions, and I knew, not that everyone else knew, but I already knew that I pretty much committed to Fremantle. And this is literally four weeks before the draft, but eight weeks before the draft, I'd already committed. So. Um, so yeah, we so we both sat there just going twiddling our thumbs. I remember Kevin Sheeney walked over and goes, "Ah, oh, you you guys are untouchables because you're already locked away." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so it was quite it was quite we- it was quite weird. Um, and then yeah, just to go on, you know, just that journey of keeping it quiet, knowing where I was going, sit there and be all surprised, and it's almost like a um, yeah, just keeping it a surprise from everyone. But um, yeah, it was it was great. It was look, uh, I look at it as I was the number one draft pick for them, or wasn't the even though I was number one draft pick Australia wide, but it was a draft pick for them, uh, for Fremantle itself. So, yeah, it was a great occasion and something that, uh, you know, people still talk about it today. So it wasn't number two or number three, it was number one. So yeah, it's, well, cool. it's, it's always going to be in the in the folklore, in, in the memory. But what was it like the early days? Obviously, a brand-new club. It wasn't, you know, you went walking into maybe, you know, a Melbourne or a Collingwood or a Hawthorne that's been established and got a huge history. What was that sort of... You know, an interesting period as well because you probably wouldn't have known better either being your first AFL club. No, I didn't know any better and I didn't know any – wasn't any wiser. Well, I guess my focus was trying to um, earn the respect of the players. That was the main main thing for me. Even though I was number one draft pick, I needed to just still prove myself. And even when I played for East Perth Royals, it was still that, you know, trying to earn their respect and trying to gain that credibility as a player. So and, – and it's all learning as well. I mean, I was skinny – Six foot five, weighing seventy two kilos, seventy three kilos. Like I was a, I was a featherweight, you know. So I needed to work on that sort of side of my stuff, and and I always had the athleticism. So I just had to build the frame. I had to build that, you know, around the frame. So yeah, you know, you're going through. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, team unveiling the new jumper, the new song. I mean, everything that comes with that. The new president. Um, you know, you're unveiling the coach, and then there's the new assistant coach. Like everything was new. Everything, new shoes, like new sponsors. Felt like we we're going to function every single week. You know, announce this, announce that, announce this, announce that. So it was pretty, pretty hectic in the first first year, or well, in the first preseason, I guess, um, with all those announcements. But once once we got playing, it was good fun. Yeah, I can I can imagine. And and for for you and everyone listening, and and obviously myself, actually, funnily enough, I, I told my old man. Uh, he asked me, oh, who you've got coming up on the podcast? I said, oh, Jeff White. I said, you remember Jeff White? He goes, oh, Jeff White. He goes, he was the first of the the mould of Ruckman that was like the athletic brand that the, the Ruckman is. So he gave you these massive props. So <laughs> you obviously left a mark on some people, which was, I thought, quite quite a, a, a big compliment because obviously people relate that to like Dean Cox and um, so forth. But what for you prompted the move to to come to Melbourne? And, and I guess well, originally you're, you're from here, so to come home. Well, my, my last year of Freo was 97. Um, I suffered a pretty severe injury. It was like round three or four against Essendon over there. I lacerated my spleen. But I gave the club all indications that I wanted to re-sign and wanted to stay on. So we, we put some pieces in place about getting my parents over and my, my two brothers to come over and do some schooling. But I just felt that during that period of time when I was injured, there wasn't any, there wasn't any communication from the club. I think they were very... 
lackluster and the fact that they thought I was just going to resign. So there was no sort of no sort of service to my family. So I started getting a lot of calls from a lot of clubs from Melbourne and they started presenting their, you know, I guess their team ethos and the history of their, their clubs and the players and I started having other players ring me. I don't think you can do that now. But, yeah, I just felt like, you know, they were adding more Ruckman. They had, they had I think at that stage they had, I don't know, six or seven Ruckman on the list. Mm. So there was a lot of, obviously, a lot of offers coming from all the clubs in Melbourne. And, yeah, just got the stage where I just – really went with my instincts and and felt that it was time to go home. And I really wanted to play on the MCG. I really wanted to play in front of big crowds. And I always sort of dreamt of that as a kid. So what better better club to go to than Melbourne, um, you know, playing every second week at the MCG. It came down to Richmond, Collingwood and Melbourne. But as I've spoken about this in my podcast, and I think it's more, it resonates with me even more now, is that back then, not that I knew that, but I was just going with my instincts, just going with my gut feelings. And everything with Melbourne just flowed. You know, I had Neil Denner, who was my assistant coach at Freo. He became the head coach. My junior coach for the Daniel Stingrays, he became the assistant coach at Melbourne. Just everything was flowing. Everything was falling into place, whereas I found a few different things that I wasn't agreeing with with the other clubs. So even though Melbourne only won four games in 97, we ended up making the prelim in 98. It was irrelevant. I wanted to go somewhere that I was comfortable, somewhere that was good for me somewhere that I thought that I could really excel my um, my skills and, you know, my my want as a player and no better person was to have as a mentor as Jim Steins. So really everything just fell into place. That's, that's pretty awesome and amazing to hear. And for those listening, and we will go into it in a bit more depth, is the Finding Self-Love uh, with Jeff White podcast. It's relatively new, but, I mean, he's pumped, you've pumped out a lot of episodes. I've been listening to them and they, they are really, really insightful, but just – to translate some of the stuff and the content you're putting out today, like how much of that reflectiveness and, and how much focus did you have on self through your AFL days? Like was was that sort of profound to you at all? Did that sort of come later on in life? No, definitely. It's definitely that sort of stuff, which I absolutely so passionate about. Um, it's, it's definitely come over the last probably 10 months, I reckon. Uh, I went through a really bad bad stage last year last half of last year but it was a build-up of what had happened previously and now when I look back at my career and look back at that you know what I just was just explaining about my decision to go to Melbourne it's it's you know it was in me it was there I just had to it just had to be at a, a certain point to actually come out um, I know that throughout my career I used to look at look, find words to, you know, motivate me. And so I'd search for a word on Google. I'd try and connect that with some sort of motivational quote. I'd print it out. I'd leave it in my sports bag. I'd leave it in my wallet, leave it in my car. It'd be something that it would be a daily reminder to actually read about it and read it through, memorise that quote, memorise that motivational quote and actually get me lifted for the next game. Well, when I had this spiritual awakening in October last year, which is the most powerful thing I've ever experienced, I started getting words coming to me. So I started writing those words down. And at this point in time, I wasn't on social media. I was obviously just trying to find myself because I was going through, you know, a lot of stress, a lot of mental, there's a lot of cloudiness going on. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I started writing quotes and all of a sudden I, um, I found that it was not only healing me, but I found like it was motivating me in some way as well. So when I came back on social media, I started writing those quotes. And I think to this day, I've written over 400 and all those quotes, all those words, come to me on a daily basis it's quite yeah it's 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 extremely powerful which 
which I just write. You know, once a word comes, I write it down, write a quote, and away it goes. So That's crazy. Right? So cool. you don't actually, you're not, uh, it's not to say that you're not thinking about what you're writing, but a lot of this is actually, you're not really putting your brain into it. It's, it's more coming into you as a human being. It's, and you're just it's like coming, putting it's it on coming paper. to me. Yeah. That's crazy. So what uh, was so this last, spiritual awakening you you speak of that sort of? Uh, it was just all to do with just signs. So I've always been someone who has, you know, I, I've sort of believed in signs now and then. That, and I mean, it goes back to when I made my decision with Melbourne. I felt that that things were just flowing. You just know when things are flowing. You send an email or you're texting someone or this just falls into place and, and so on and so forth. You just get that feeling. Well, I got that feeling when I was deciding to go to Melbourne. It just felt like right. It felt like the right decision. felt comfortable with it. had a great gut, gut feeling about it. So last year I started... When I started focusing on myself, instead of worrying about, you know, when a lot of people try and find this, you know, self-identity, when they go through a crisis, it's either through a trauma, it's either through relationship, it's either through losing someone. So, you, it, it, you know, it happens in different ways. For me, it was a relationship. And, you know, coming off 13-year marriage, um, you know, that, that, you know, my wife left me four years ago, and then... It was off the back of having heart surgery, finding a hole in my heart, being sued, um, and then her leaving in the space of five months. I didn't really heal myself after all that sort of stuff. So when it came to actually falling in love again, and that that particular girl, which I have a lot of respect for, and to this day I just say thanks for for leaving me, but at the time it was so difficult. I just felt like I had no self-esteem, I had nothing, no self-confidence. Um, so then I started working on myself and then when I started working on myself is where I started seeing all these signs. And so anyway, so this particular day, I won't go into too much detail, but there was a particular sign that I'd been presented with and it was very foreign to me, but it turned out that three hours later, that particular sign was on a car that parked right next to me <laughs> and I just burst out crying. It was just, it was like, it was just almost like all the stress had left my body. And then the most amazing thing after that was that all these words just started coming to coming to me, and it was all about who I was, my you know, I guess my self identity. So it went to another level, and it's hard to explain um, and and that sort of stuff. But uh, you know, I've written over four hundred quotes now, and none of it's from Google. Uh, just all words come, and I guess the rhyming part comes from the fact that I love giving my sons and their kids' nicknames, and I've always been that person to give people nicknames. So that's where the rhyming part comes from. But I just love it. I love it. I pour it out, and that's, uh, you know, and you need to. I mean, it's authentic, and that's what people connect with. That gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Listen to that. The sign, <laughs> on, the sign on the car too. I'm like, well, yeah, because I, I actually, like, I'm quite spiritual myself, so I believe in a lot of things like that. I think that's why um, a lot of your content resonated with me because, when I tend to go through difficult periods, I tend to, and it's probably, you know, Matthew McConaughey said something very interesting. A lot of people, for instance, journal and, and write about what's going on in their life and the challenges when things are going wrong, but no one really writes when things are going well to identify like why it's going well. And I'm, I probably fall into that category where I tend to go quite spiritual and reflective when I go through tough periods, but when I'm good, there's no self-work or, you know, sort of motivation to, you know, check how I'm doing or things that I'm doing well and stuff like that. Uh, but it's interesting because you had this obviously amazing AFL career. I think you, you're not too far off being a 300 gamer. You're an All-Australian and so forth. 
Did you find sort of coming out of that world and sort of being disassociated with AFL difficult at all or were you kind of comfortable and ready for the next phase of life? Uh, I mean, that's the other thing too when you think about signs. The last year of my career I started having – I was having dreams about wearing a suit and being in front of a computer. <laughs> I really had no idea where that was coming from. And it was quite, it was quite consistent, you know. It was consistent with that sort of uh, – those things that were, that were unfolding. Um, so little did I know that I started a, a digital agency two years later and had to be in front of a computer, not that I wore a suit, but it was sort of a sign. So there was a lot of signs back then, but my transition was I always had the mentality of like Michael Jordan would say is that once I stop enjoying the game is the day I walk away. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I'd given my all. I had a personal trainer in Melbourne. I had a personal trainer on the Gold Coast. I gave everything. You know, I left no stone unturned. So when the decision was there to, to, to you know, hang out the boots, I was very comfortable in the decision. And that's it's another feeling sort of thing. But I, I, did, I didn't know that. But now looking back, um, you know, there were a lot of strong decisions were based around how I was feeling at the time and, you know, listening to your intuition and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, yeah, I went on the path and I've always been a solution-based type of person. So I worked at a radio station for two years, but up here on the Gold Coast, but the first week I started at the radio station, um, my wife at the time introduced me to Twitter. I'm like, what is Twitter? So then I started doing research about Twitter. Um, and as it turned out, I started doing um, posting on Facebook pages, um, doing the content, creating the graphics and engaging with the audiences for some of my paid on-air clients. Um for free. So, and then they started coming to me and saying, no, we don't, we don't want to do radio ads, but we want to do Facebook. We're very intrigued about this. So that's where my digital agency, White Echo started. And I still do, do that to this day. So, um, yeah. So the transition, I guess, for me is that if I wanted to be a coach, I would have stayed in Melbourne. Uh, if I wanted to be a media, I would have stayed in Melbourne. Uh, for me, I just wanted to move on and create my own legacy outside of footy. Well, you're definitely paving the way for a legacy in in regards to the podcast and, and what you do there. Can you give me, I mean, it's kind of looking and, and speaking to you now and obviously looking from the outside, it, it's kind of a natural progression of what you're doing. But for you, what was the kind of click or the drive where what prompted you to, to build the Finding Self Love podcast? You're right. I think it was, uh, you know, I during that period of time, I think it was – Pretty much through, uh, I'm going to say July, August, September, around that period of time is where it was really challenging for me. I needed to try and try and find me, you know. And when you when you want to try and search for your self identity and um, and have that feeling of um, you know who am I? And you said it earlier, you know, just trying to find my my identity when I was young. You have to do it yourself. You have to try and go on that journey yourself. And so I needed to do that. And I think a lot of the ups and downs I went through footy, particularly more downs and ups, was what I needed to do. And I, so I did. I started started actually trying to – and at that stage, I had no idea that I was trying to discover myself. I was just trying to get myself in a better rhythm, a better mindset. And to actually then start building on those foundations and start reading those signs, that's where it became really powerful. Uh, and I believe in all that sort of stuff, you know, the intuition, um, being present, mindset—you'll see those signs. You don't catch those sort of stuff if you if you if your mind's not present. If you're thinking about the past, or you're thinking about the future, which is the anxiety sort of stuff, you're not in tune to feeling those messages that are coming to you. 
So you're dwelling on things you can't control. So that's what I started to do. I started to flush out and say, hang on a minute, I can't control this particular lady who's left me. I can't control that she's seen someone, even though it was so soon. So there was a lot of those sorts of things. I just had to go, you know what, I'm just shutting that out. Um, And, you know, I had one, there was one particular night where I was sitting there and I was on Facebook and lo and behold, like her photo came up with a friend of mine and I just, it just gutted me. And, so anyway, I woke up the next morning and my dog wanted to go to the toilet and there was a message. I just felt like I just got to get off social media. If I can't control what's posted on there, I can control removing it. So I didn't go on social media for eight, eight weeks, I think I was off social media for. And that was part of the, you know, just getting rid of stuff that I couldn't control and made such a big difference in my life. And I think what a lot of people do is they still get stuck in the dwelling in the past Mm. or they have so it creates you know depression creates that regrets and then people also worry about what could happen in the future and that creates anxiety and one of the things that michael jordan used to say and he was so brilliant at staying present is why well, think negative when it hasn't happened and it's so freaking true you know why why worry about something that hasn't happened yet you got to stay present so by me getting my mind in the present state those universal messages started coming through. I started following it. I started going for bushwalks. I'd never been for a bushwalk in my life. You know, just all those sorts of things. I started trying things because these messages started coming through. And I guess that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast. And um, and that came because people wanted to, they wanted me to do the podcast. Um, I've written a workbook now. I just launched it this week. So, some, you know, people wanted me to do that. So I started this as basically to try and help others. Um, and you know, and that's just come through with authentic, you know, being authentic and showing my passion and basically teaching people if I can do it, you can do it, you know. So, and if it turns into a full time job or monetize in some way, so be it. But it's always just been a passion of mine just to help people. That's amazing. I think, you know, what you talk about the social media aspect there that you experience, my generation, that's like given, that's an everyday thing. And it's for people, whether it's relationships or careers or, um, you know, anything, there's so many triggers and, um, you know, on social media that kind of bring up traumas or emotions in people. And I don't think a lot of people really uh, are fully aware of what that does to them in, in some regards. Do you have kind of some techniques for, for people? And, and you've kind of spoke of, um, I do want to get a little bit into the, the period where kind of it went a bit wishy-washy for you, but do you have any sort of like simple yep. techniques for, for, for sort of people that, you know, when there are triggers and things that are coming up for, for maybe unhealed wounds, you know, to, to avoid or to get past? Well, I think, uh, yeah, the, I think the, the first and foremost is to actually identify it. A lot of people try and will see it and they go, ah, and, and they move on. I mean, I guess the perfect example for me was that um, space of August 2017 to May 2018, I suffered a stroke, found out I had a hole in my heart, had heart surgery, was sued, paid off the, the, that previous investor. Two days later, my wife left me. Wow. So, But every time that happened, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, by the way, but every time that trauma, that pain, that heartache or whatever happened, I just go, oh, I'll be all right. I'll just move on. Oh, I'll be all right. It'll work out. I didn't actually heal from each any of those. So when, when the real pain hit and the heartache hit last year, I was gone because I hadn't done the previous healing. So... With negative triggers on social social media or whatever it is, or it might be might be a restaurant, it might even be a song. Um, you've got to first identify that, and then realize that 
hey, I can't control that, and then try to work out ways how you can minimize it. If you can control it, for instance, social media, then out of sight, out of mind. Don't follow them. If you want to block, block, that's fine. Um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. My dad always used to say, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, don't leave something, you know, visible in a car that a robber can break the window and get into. So that's part of your boundaries, right? You don't want to have been a business position where, you know, you can see that and becomes a negative trigger. Then another another negative trigger happens and you're worried about the first one and then you've got a second negative trigger and now all of a sudden you've got two, three, four, all builds up and that's where you become really, you know, your mindset just goes everywhere. So mm. being present, understanding your boundaries, understanding what you like, understanding what ticks you off and then just trying to work through that. And that's what I'm trying to preach and try to, well, not preach, I guess, but trying to teach uh, people, just trying to give them those um, those simple techniques and tips on how to actually stay present because it's so powerful. I mean, it's my mind's so present right now, um, you know, learning about all this different things. I'm learning every day, but once I do have triggers. I mean, my ex, my ex girlfriend, she lives in my street. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so no I still, way. I still, I know, and she, you know, so I still have to drive. I mean, uh, the oval that I run at run on I, I run every day and that was one of the things is actually getting into daily routines um there's a gym that looks over our oval she's joined that gym so she, <laughs> so in the past i would go oh my god i can't believe she's there blah blah blah. i would you that would be a negative trigger but for me now i just run and i guess show off i've got a different mindset <laughs> okay um, but there's there's those there's those constant negative triggers that um that are always there because she's lives in the same street but been able to know that hey you know you've made you've made your decision um you're going to regret it so it's all those sorts of things it's about changing your mindset that way and that's it becomes very powerful it's it's crazy to hear that period of your life you speak of because like people talk about like health wealth and relationships as like you know pivotal pieces to happiness and when they're all kind of streaming there's a happy human being for you like all three kind of pillars in some regards kind of all fell down in, in a very short period of time which for any human being would be incredibly tough and and obviously now in your position and hindsight's a beautiful thing you kind of probably in some regards not thankful because you wouldn't want to wish it upon anyone but it's definitely made it you know a stronger jeff white for example but through that really challenging period where it is cloudy and you know you, you don't really want to wait for wounds to heal you kind of just want to get on with life and move forward like how did you navigate through that and kind of keep sane and obviously being a father of three as well it would have been i can imagine would have been a pretty tough period yeah, it was, uh, particularly last year. It was, you know, it was almost like, you know, one, I remember it, I remember it vividly. We're talking about marriage, we're talking about moving in together and then three hours later, I'm out the door. It just happened so quickly. And it was like, you know, asking why, 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 and then, you know, then it's a process of elimination and then trying to figure out and then trying to obviously, you know, be a single father of three boys and trying to be positive around them. But when I look back at the end, the most pivotal thing for me was to actually get into daily routines. And why I say that is because my focus every morning when I woke up, when I was going through my bad patches, I was like, I was thinking to myself, okay, I want this to happen or I want that to happen or I want this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. I was, when I look back in, in, as you said, hindsight, I was forcing things to happen. Whereas when I decided I'm going to get up early, I'm going to go for a run, I'm going to have a coffee by myself. I'm going to listen to music. I'm going to write. All of a sudden, when I woke up, I knew that I had these things and these tasks to do. And 
it got to the stage where they weren't tasked to become things I was so passionate about I couldn't wait to do it. Then when I'm actually doing those sorts of things during the day, I'm not thinking about the past. I'm not thinking about issues that have happened in the past. I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing for dinner. I'm so focused on doing those sorts of things became so present for me. And I can't stress that. I mean, I probably repeat myself quite a bit when I'm on social media about having daily routines, but it just changed my mindset mindset from dwelling on what has actually happened that I can't control anymore to actually focusing on me. And then when I started focusing on me, oh, my God, my life just changed. And that's when all this sort of stuff started happening. And, um, you know, and that was a pivotal moment for me. That was the most important thing. And when I look back, I was playing footy. We had a schedule every day. Yeah. We had a routine every day. Yeah. We, we had an itinerary every day. So my mind was present most of the time during my footy career. Yeah, you go, you go have some downs because you lose a game or you went poor performance or you had an injury. But three, yeah, three quarters of my footy career, 13, you know, 13, 14 years, I had an itinerary every day. So now I look back and go, I've got an itinerary now. And that's what I love. And that's what I say to people. Get yourself in a routine, start with one or two daily routines and then filter out. I've got like five or six now, um, which I love. I wake up every morning. I know that I'm doing it. And you know what? Everyone who's in my inner circle, in my surroundings, whether it's my friends, my girlfriend, all that sort of stuff, they know that and they support me and you just have the sense of freedom. And, you, yeah, I can't I, – I, I cannot – um, express that and and you know encourage that for people enough. That's that's actually yeah. I, I'm a big believer in that. It's something I actually struggle with because I'm not a morning person. Like if the, if there was a saying, you know, your, your day's one in the night, I would win every day. But it's usually days one in the morning, which is I ch- <laughs> it's a it's a challenge for me to get up and go before like eight a.m. And that's something I'm actually trying to work on um, because I I I but the, go ahead. But the thing I say with that, it's, that's you. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, that's the thing. We always feel like I, I get up at four thirty-five every morning, right? But I never used to be like that. But that's because I have three kids, and the sweet spot for being quiet is between four thirty <laughs> and five thirty, because the twins get up at six, right? Yeah. So I needed to work out how it works for me. If you get up at nine o'clock, it's if if you think to yourself, this is what I keep saying to people: if you think to yourself, oh, I shouldn't get up at nine o'clock, that means you're comparing. Mm. No, you do for you. And why do, why do we have to go to work from nine, you know, nine to five? And maybe that's our requirement. That's fine. But we compare so much. Why? I mean, if you're comfortable getting up at eight at nine o'clock at night uh, in the morning, it's you. Do you? That's where you feel comfortable, right? Uh, and that's where you got to have the courage. And and that's what I keep saying to people is that have the courage to speak up. If there's a dwelling situation in your relationship. Just open up. You never know. That person might have the same. Uh, your partner might be feeling the same way, and you you sort of stuck, and you sort of, you know, you're going that side of the room, and he's going that side of the room, and all that sort of stuff. Just just speak up. Have the courage. Um, but that's what I'm trying to say to people is that that's you. And if if people don't agree with it, then I guess they don't need to be in your circle of friends. Um, this is where it's so important. So yeah, that's what I'm. So yeah, get up at eight o'clock. Nine yeah, o'clock. It's, oh, it's, thank it's you. Now you. I feel comfortable. Might, might you, even put that on snooze. <laughs> yes, it makes you. If that makes you feel comfortable, it's like they used to give Dennis Rodman. He was the only one at the Chicago Bulls that had a twenty-four hour gym pass. Why? Because he wanted to go at three in the morning. Okay, that's Dennis Rodman, <laughs> and that's a bit of the Zen sort of stuff. Um, but that's what Phil Jackson 
was so powerful at doing. Mm. I mean, the greatest NBA coach of all time. He knew each and every one of those individuals, what they liked and what they disliked, but he wanted them to more like to get the best out of them, right? So if you get up at 8 o'clock, get up at 8 o'clock. Oh, that's music <laughs> to my ears, kids, Jeff. Well, I, don't know if you got, I don't know if you've got kids now, but when no. you have kids, it'll get earlier and earlier. <laughs> okay, I've got a puppy. i got a puppy. She does get me up earlier. But um, just speaking on yeah. the, the daily routines, because I, as I said, I'm a big advocate for that. Every every The days, and I don't exercise every day, but the days that I find I've, I've exercised early in the morning, my day is so much more productive. My mind sets in, in like a healthier space for a longer period and so forth. For for athletes, and we speak about this a little bit because we are sort of so driven to a schedule for so long that when you come out of sport, you kind of lose that structure. And I've found that's a very vulnerable period for a lot of people in sport and even in people in like careers, changing jobs yeah. or yep. getting used to a routine with, with, a, with a partner and not being with that partner anymore. It can be quite challenging in those vulnerable periods when you lose that structure or you lose that sort of purpose in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And you've got to be able to – that's where the, self, the self-talk and the self-motivation comes into play, which a lot of people f- find it's hard. I mean, I, I look back and go, I, I found that hard. I think the the last thing I wanted to do after footy was have a structure. <laughs> the first thing I want now is a structure, you know. So I guess I needed to flush that out and go, you know, for me to travel to, say, Adelaide or me to travel to, to the Gold Coast or me to travel – at some point and not have an itinerary in my face was such a breath of fresh air. You know, I remember we used to get to the airport, here's your itinerary, get on the bus when you get to the airport. Uh, it's the, the, you know, the you know, say you're going to Adelaide, you get another itinerary, then you go to dinner, you got another itinerary. It just felt like those itineraries coming left, right and centre. Um, so post-footy, that's the last thing I wanted to ha- have happen, but certainly there is a transition period there. We need to find your feet and then try and work out what's what's suitable for you. And that's the key. If you find out what's suitable for you and not compare about what others are doing, find out what the sweet spot is for you. It just takes – it's such a, a freedom of your mind mm. is so much better. And then you just got to have the courage to then just focus on that. All right. There's one thing, and I, as I mentioned to the listeners, I've listened to I think maybe probably five or six of the podcasts you've done and one of the ones I really enjoyed, and there's actually a quote from one of them, which I, uh, is probably going to be a mantra for life. That's how powerful it is, which I want to touch on. And <laughs> Ethan, I know we're going to clip it when okay. we talk about it. But um, the first one was just around the reward system. And and you kind of touched on yes. it there, like finding moments for yourself and, and finding yourself and, and enjoying yeah. your life. And a lot of people in the modern day, particularly with social media, are consumed by work and time and effort and whatever it may be. But not everyone clicks their fingers and goes, hey, like, what do I actually love doing? Why don't I go take an hour or two out of my day and go do yes. something that I love, shoot hoops, play golf, you know, go go catch up with friends yes. for coffee, go have a beer, like stuff like that. And that's something you speak, you do a whole podcast on this. Can you elaborate on that a little yes. bit? <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is. I mean, we, we don't, I mean, I, I was at a period of time, this is in 04, where I was playing, that's, that was, you know, personally my my greatest achievements that year was all Australians, best and fairest, um, all that sort of stuff was in the state side and done and so forth. But I put a reward system in place for myself. And when I was a kid, my dad used to actually set little goals. If you play well this week, you get a chocolate bar. Or if you play really well, I can take you to Macca's. So there's always those little incentive sort of stuff, but it was all driven by him. And that was all well and good. And it made me focus on 
the end result and get excited for that. And I, that's what I teach my, my kids to this day. But during this period of time, I wanted to try and reward myself. And I, uh, uh, so it was a little story that these guys were, you know, tur- you know, riding around the, the streets on those big, long skateboards. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. I, <laughs> I could easily have gone down and purchased that, but I made the intuitive decision to say, right, if I play really good for these next five rounds, I'm going to go and actually buy that skateboard. So I went into this, I went into the skate shop. I looked at the skateboard, had a feel for it. I could have bought it on the spot, but I said, right, this, I'm going to, it's almost like you manifest something. And I mean, Kevin Hart, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Garnett said that when he's in Violet with the Celtics, he said, I manifested the fact that I wanted to have my number on the ceiling. Right. And that's what it did for me. I went in there, had a look at it, went, right, I'm going to, I'm going to get this on this Monday, but I've got to achieve a level of good to very good for the next five weeks. I ended up in those five weeks, four of those five games, I self-performance was very good to excellent. So I never forget it was such an adrenaline rush. Wow. I finished, we finished uh, training on the Monday morning. I went straight to that skate <laughs> shop, walked in, bought that skateboard. And because we live quite close, I was living with David uh, David Neitz at the time. Oh, was it David Neitz? It, was, it, it, it might have been a friend of mine, but I live very close to the shops. Um, so I, I can't tell you the I, I still get chills thinking about it now, just riding that skateboard. And That's I, unbelievable. I, I didn't tell Neil. I didn't I didn't want Neil to know about that I'm riding <laughs> the skateboard, but it was I'm not doing Ollies or anything like that. I'm just cruising on it. But I went that Monday afternoon just cruising, and that was that self-fulfillment that I achieved something for me. I, you know, no disrespect to my mum and dad, or no disrespect to anyone else giving me a reward. I achieved that. And this is what I that's what I said in the podcast is that. You've got to reward yourself, even if it's a small uh, token of gesture to yourself. You've got to actually then pat yourself on the back end, and it just gives you a, a lift and it gives you an extra motivation to get the next one and then to get the next one. Um, but it doesn't have to be a monetary sort of thing. It could be really, really small. It could be something very sentimental. Uh, and the other thing I say with that too, say you want to do, if you want to achieve something over a long period of time, say it's eight weeks, don't change the reward. Leave the reward as it is because when you look back, you go, well, at that point in time, that's what I wanted. And now I leave it at that because this is what I've been able to achieve. So, yeah, um, I find that very powerful. Something I, I still do this to, to this day. So, yeah, because your kind of remedy or self-time is like going to the golf course and, and, you know, or the chipping range and something and just, you know, taking a couple of balls and kind of just having Jeff White time. But are you sort of saying to your perspective on that is like set yourself a bit of a target of what you want to get, like a small milestone achieve it and then go and do something yeah. like that and you get that liberation from, you know, hard work but also, you know, complementing it with self-time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a balance there too, um, you know, and it's it's about actually just doing something for you. I mean, that's – I mean, we, we, we tend to and – I, I, and I like the fact that you go and have me time. I call it me time. Uh, so every Thursday – so what is today? Thursday. I'll go for a run, and because I live uh, on the live on the golf course, but we have a hotel here, so I'll go for a run, and then I'll go over and stretch in the water and and sit, you know, by the pool and put my headphones in. And I don't do that obviously every day. I don't do that every Thursday, but it's something I really look forward to. So, and if I if I'm able to say I run, I, I run most days. Oh, but say I'm doing whatever it is. It's a, like a sentimental like a reward for me. It's a bit of me time. I think we just live in a, in a world where everything comes to us, you know, via mobile phone, uh, you know, computers, whatever it is, where we're working. We don't take the time for us. Um, 
And and so that's what I love to try and encourage people to do. I mean, I had a particular gentleman come out, um, reach out to me on Instagram, and he said, oh, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. I know that you run, I've got a sore back, blah, 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 blah. I said to him, well, what is it you could do around the house? Do you want to do vacuuming? He goes, oh, I've been trying to do these weights. I said, right, obviously be mindful of your back. He goes, I've got this stick I can use. I said, perfect. It was one of those ones where you pick up, you know, you pick up rubbish. So he could do it by standing up and not bending over. Anyway, he put his headphones in. He came back to me two hours later and his dialogue and what he spoke to me two hours prior was completely different. Mm. He said, oh, my God, I didn't think about, not once did I think about what I'd been through. Uh, I was in the present moment. I was focusing on these weeds. I had the music playing. I heard some great tunes come through, and I feel I just feel alive. And I said, "Well, there you go. You just you had your me time. Didn't have to be physical, but and it was just yeah. I just love that stuff. That's the stuff that just you know inspires me when I'm inspiring others. That's it's it's amazing to to hear. And I actually really love that podcast because it's something I don't do at all. And like just little sentimental things to myself. I'm like, I never really do anything for me. I just work. And then like everything I kind of do is for other people. So it's kind of, um, yeah, when I listened to that, I actually got quite a lot out of that. So thank you for that. But one of the the things that I I really want to talk about for me, because I would say I'm a patient guy, but when it comes to like negativity in my life or negative emotions, in my mind, I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like, I feel it and it hurts yeah. and whatever, but like I just want to keep living and having fun and, and positivity around. And it's not always easy to do because I've obviously gone through my trials and tribulations with sport and personal life. And and one of the things you said to me, and a lot of people say it, uh, it's not you said to me, a lot of people have said to me like time heals all wounds. And yeah, it, it does, but like, you know, not everyone wants to have time. Everyone wants to just heal their wounds. And the thing that you said that loves, uh, that I loved and it's going to live with me for a long time is that, Time heals all wounds, but time flies when you're having fun. And I, I've, <laughs> said, that. <laughs> I've said that to a few people uh, since I've listened to it and everyone's just kind of stopped and paused and really thought about it and gone, huh. <laughs> and I think yeah, it's such like a beautiful that. depiction of it. But yeah, can you explain yeah, to uh, me like a little bit more about that? Well, uh, I got a, a really close mate of mine who lives in Chicago of all places. That he's, a, he's an Aussie um, and but he's a, a professional golfer or a, a golf coach over in over in Chicago. There, anyway, he came back when this is the end. Uh, this is the middle of 2018. He came back and he said, well, "Let's catch up for coffee." So we went and caught for coffee, and he, he said to me, "He said to me, mate, I know that right at this point in time you're not going to feel this, but only time will heal. Time will heal your wounds. You know, you've just split up. You just, you know, you've gone through this." Uh, you know, all this trauma, all this heartache in such a sports, uh, short space of time. So when I decided to to move to where I live now, and that was the, the you know, the, obviously the separation time, I thought about that message. And I also thought that, that a lot of people, you know, I've heard previously that time flies when you have fun. And I thought, you know what? That's, my, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do things for me. Uh, so I went and bought my golf buggy. Always wanted a golf buggy. So I went and bought a golf buggy. Um, I hadn't been playing golf for two years because I've been sacrificing so much of me to try and save my marriage. I went straight to the golf course and, and, and paid my membership and I was in. So I started doing things for me. And what I found is that, yes, time started to fly and I started to heal. But the most important part about it, and I've learned that only just recently, is that I wasn't thinking about the past. Now, you've, you've got to heal from the past. You've got to 
flushed it out, as I say. You've got to, obviously, if there's a, um, a loss of a loved one, cry, speak it out, flush it out, all that sort of stuff. But then there comes a point in time where you've got to start, you know, obviously having fun and enjoying yourself and do things for you. And what happens is you you catch yourself and you go, oh, I haven't even thought about that. Well, that hasn't crossed my mind. That's the, that's the sweet spot. That's the present sweet spot. And that's what I try and encourage everyone to do. So, yes, time flies when you have fun. So do things for you. Don't be guided by other people. And people will come out to you and give you advice and all that sort of stuff, but that's their story. How many times have you heard someone go come out and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing this podcast. I've tried this and it didn't work. Well, that didn't work for you. <laughs> what about me? Yeah, but see, you know my, I mean? my perspective on that is that I've just you. We didn't meet until today, but without you knowing, there's two pivotal things that you've said that have really implement that are, are going to potentially change my life and my perspective on life. And when I started this as well, my view and being like yourself, an athlete, and you're competitive, I was like, I want to have the number one podcast, sports podcast in, in the country. And I really wanted to, I was putting all this pressure on myself. I want to be huge. All the podcasts I listen to, they're massive. So that's all I know. That's all I can associate with. And then I I listened to a guy called Tim Ferriss um, and he, yes. he's written a bunch of books. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's great at what he does. And he said, for people starting podcasts, you really should minimize your expectations and you should be so happy that if you get one or two listeners and one of those listeners goes and grabs another listener because of what they got out of it. That is so profound and so massive. And then I just flipped my perspective on podcasting. So that's why when yeah, when you when you say that, that makes me think, oh, actually, no, you're the impact you're potentially already having. And and th- think of me, someone who who didn't even know you. Imagine the people who know you or close to you picking up what you do on a day to day basis. Which is why you should stick to the podcasting game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'll do another one today, and I, I really love it. I think um, the 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 funny thing about that too the one i did yesterday was about daily reminders so when i listen over it and this is what gives me chills is that i'll listen back over what i you know the podcast that i've i've done and then as as i'm listening in i'm going oh surely i said this oh yeah i did oh surely i said that i guess i did it's almost like i get in the zone when i actually am doing my podcast which is really really what i love and that shows your authenticity of what i'm doing podcasts is, is great I, and I have a such amazing like the, the feedback I've been getting so far has been been awesome and I mean even just hearing you saying that you love the you know reward me podcast yeah. I think it was called um you know that it gives me gives me chills and I love that um and I'm speaking from the heart I'm speaking from personal experience so that's what I'm trying to get across and um, I had a gentleman come out today and he sent me a message on Instagram. He goes, how do you know so much about the human experience? Because I just connect with all your words. And I said, well, if there's a, a word about saying self-taught, I'm self-taught because I've gone through all this. I haven't read any books. I haven't reached out and been a philosopher. I haven't done any of that. This is all from human experience. Uh, and and so this is where it becomes very powerful. And this is where it becomes really meaningful for me is because I'm helping that person, that individual. And the amount of people that come out and say certain things and stuff like that, I can pick immediately what is wrong, what what they're struggling with and stuff like that. And and that's what I get a kick out of too. I just love being able to there to support people and help them. And so with all these sort of the quotes, my my workbook that's just been launched, I've got a mentoring program that's about to launch. All these sorts of things are all touch points where I want to help people in some some way. If I can help with five, 10%, um, you know, that's 
that's what I'm trying to achieve. That's what I, and that's what I love. I love this. Yeah, and to top that, I think one of the things, as I said, attracted me to what you do. And, and as I said, in those podcasts, you are completely, like 100% vulnerable. Like you can hear it's coming through your soul and your, your body because you're speaking with such passion and such knowledge, like almost life experience knowledge through the issues that you speak of or, or the sort of solution thinking that you talk about. But um, one thing, I, and I know I have a heavy sort of male uh, following around the podcast, and I know there's a lot of guys out there that go through a lot of stuff, and there is this stigma around males and being vulnerable and speaking about issues and, cha- and challenges. And it's not to say that females don't go through the same stuff, but I feel females are a bit more comfortable being vulnerable, and it's not to say all of them are. And definitely some males are, are comfortable speaking their problems and issues. But what would be your advice as some of those sort of masculine figures that really struggle to open up and, and try and sort of hold everything and move forward through life and truck through? Well, it's, uh, I, I guess, from from uh, just touching on that, yes, the females are more open. I find that they're the ones that comment openly on my my posts. I have so many males come out to me privately and and, and talk and 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 I love I love the fact that they reach out and, and that's what I love. And I think it's that's the initial step is to actually reach out to someone that you can trust and, and just be open about it and speak about it. Um, I think the thing is that if you don't, you hold it in and you don't really get it off your chest, and and that's that can be the that can really put you. Um, way back. I mean, that's what I did. I did not have, I wasn't healing myself. I was keeping it in. Even when I was speaking to people, knowing that I was going through these issues, um, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, I don't want to get them down. But there was certainly times where I was with a really close friend and he could sense that I was down, but I wasn't in the position to open up about it. Not in an open forum, but I should have privately just reached out and said, "Hey, mate, want to catch up for a drink? Let's let's, let's talk it through." And I, but I think um, in society we're more we're open and, and we express ourselves more about it these days. And the education, which is so important, um, because it is just you know, there's so this you know, I was hearing the other day that between the ages of forty and and sixty, there's you know, there's suicide rates and stuff like that. It's just extraordinary. And I know that it's been a lot of challenges with COVID and all that sort of stuff, but a lot of it also starts with that individual having the courage to actually speak out and, um, you know, and it's amazing what it does when you actually speak out, get off your chest and, and speak it to others because they might have a different perspective and a different view, but at least they're listening and at least you're getting off your chest. I couldn't agree more. Uh, before we touch on uh, just your book, before we, we sort of round up, one thing as well that I wanted to talk about, and you've, you've used the terminology uh, in this podcast a little bit, but just coming back to that uh, sort of stigma around males or just people speaking up around their problems, one thing you spoke about in one of your podcasts was the can controls and the can't controls and really understanding yep. and separating the two so that you kind of, you know, know where to hold emotion and know where to kind of allow, you know, what you can't control to kind of just fizzle through. Can you touch on that yep. in a bit of detail? Because I found that actually really interesting and, and I wasn't really, uh, it's not something that I really kind of look at in, in depth in my own life, I would say. Yeah, well, it's a part of the workbook and it's I think it's in step two. It's about actually writing down everything that's going on in your life that's would be rendered as a negative or as negative and or some sort of touch point that's not positive. Um, so the process of doing that, and this is what I went through myself, I just went, you know what, I'm going to write down all the things that are in my life at the moment that are a trigger point for me. 
uh, and the list was quite long at that, at that time. But then I actually went um, beside it and put another col- put two more columns as can and can't. And then you go through that process and go, right, okay, can I control this? Yes, I can. All right, what are the processes I need to put in place to actually minimise this issue? Uh, so it might be a bill. It might be an overhanging bill. There might be someone who's chasing you for money, whatever. Just have the coach to reach out and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Is there any chance we can go on a payment plan? Can we do this? Can we do that? It Put your mind at ease. You know, all of a sudden you're having that open dialogue you're not being you're being completely transparent and it's amazing what that level of you know level of weight is removed from your from your mindset then you look at the things you can't control and one of the things with me was like I, I can't control this particular lady who's left me I can't control her emotions I can't control what she does okay I'm just going to let that go I'm going to put a line straight through it I can't control the fact that she's seen someone I'm going to put a line through that. I can't control that, you know, she's going to post all this on social media. Okay, I'm going to unfollow her. So all of a sudden I'm starting to eliminate things I can't control and it's amazing what that actually, that freedom that gives you. So my 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 process with that is to, and my teachings is to focus on the things you can control and minimise that noise, right, and then eliminate the things you can't control and, but it's on a consistent basis. So it's about actually catching yourself, thinking about dwelling on things you can't control. Okay, I can't control that. Okay, now I'll move on. And that's where the daily uh, the daily routines come into place because then you go, okay, what do, I, what do I need to focus on right now? Okay, I've thought about that. I can't control. Okay, what do I need to focus on right now? So it's that mindset of trying to keep yourself present and that's the key because uh, you know what it's like. You know, when you're, it's funny, and I bring it up, I've mentioned this a few times in the podcast, but, you know, you might be in the toilet, you might be in the car by yourself, you might be in the shower. Those quiet times are the time you're about to put your head to the pillow. Those are the times that are when you are vulnerable. Correct. So if you can try and minimize the times that you actually think about these things during the day by keeping yourself active mentally and physically, when you get to that stage, you don't dwell on it too much because you've, you basically, your mind is, exhausted from thinking about things you're focusing on for that day. So that's what I'm trying to get to people to think about. Um, and that's why ex- like running and music for me has been the best meditation because when I finish my run, I am exhausted, but my mind feels like it's at peace. But there also is a period of time when I'm running where a motivation kicks in. And I used to have that a lot when I was in footy, you know, second, third quarter, like, oh, okay, I've got to dig deep here. And I have that when I run. And then when I'm finished, my mind's at peace. I'm not thinking about the past. I'm not thinking about the, the future. And I'm very present. So it becomes very, um, it's almost spiritual, but it's very, medi- it's a meditation for me. Yeah, I agree. So a, that's what I'm saying to people. Find a sweet spot. If you want to walk, if you want to, you know, that sort of stuff, get, you, get yourself, get your mind active. That's funny. I get the exact same thing when I run from music and running that, that I, I start having these like quotes come into my mind or these like videos of like motivation of working out. And all of a sudden I'm like a different human when I take the headphones out and I stop running, um, which is why I'm a big advocate for exercise, but also just well, to over well, one of the, one of the tips on that, if you are exercising and I, I recommend this highly when you start your exercise, have the volume at half, right? Have the music at half volume. When a song, and then you start your exercise, when a song comes up that you love, that gives you a, a bit of adrenaline rush, 
turn it up for ball and watch what happens to your mind. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone put this to the test and then get in the comments because we are going to trial and error this. That is awesome. Oh, I'm going to put yeah. Eye the Tiger on and just go full blast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you got what I do is I have my own playlist or whether you know whether it's songs I've liked or my own playlist. So when I do my warm up, which is about 300 meters around this oval, I have it at half full, and then I always do. I'm always doing two k's a day. So whether it's 10 200s or whatever it is. But then there would be a particular, particular time when a song comes on and I love and I turn up full ball and then my mind just goes yes. in a, all positive in a you know really motivational positive way. Well, honestly, Jeff, this this conversation, I knew it would be invigorating <laughs> and absolute fun and I've actually learned a lot from listening to your podcast. So I do want to endorse that to all my listeners. Everyone that's subscribed to the Unlaced Podcast, please get on to the Self-Love Podcast with Jeff White. You can follow Jeff. Obviously, you'll see all the, the tags from the marketing content um, on Instagram and TikTok. We'll tag him in all of it, but it's at Jeff White 34 um, one, of the, one of the great AFL players for the Demons, but as you can see, one of the also... Uh, masculine figures coming out of sport that's happy to be vulnerable and help people and jeff i do i do want to follow up on that request and i'll talk more about this closer to the time and we'll get the listeners involved but definitely whether i'm in the gold coast or you're in melbourne doing that youtube vlog where we we kind of hand out some of those affirmations to people and capture some cool content because i think um yeah perfect yeah i'd love to that would be awesome fun yeah 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 well actually as i spoke to you um i had it set up with one of my one of my boys, we had this person lined up. We we're about to do it, and he got up and walked away. I'm like, damn it! <laughs> like, it was the perfect opportunity. Yeah, no, we'll he's def- like, oh, we, we had it built up. We had it built up, but uh, yeah, I've, there's a guy also too. Uh, I just started finding just recently. He does haircuts for free as well. Oh, I've seen that actually is, in the states. Yeah, or- uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got 1.4 million followers, and he'll go up and get a haircut and tells the stories. And it's amazing how. You know, it's like um, humans of New York, you know, when they tell those stories about who that person is. It's a similar sort of stuff and it wouldn't be a hairdresser in the world that doesn't talk. So, yeah. you know, they're going to unearth something. So it's pretty cool. Well, Jeff, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. As I said, such an insightful chat. And, um, yeah, mate, we'll look forward to linking up and, and doing this vlog in the future. Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And uh, shout out to all your listeners and I uh, hope they got a little bit out of it today. Awesome. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.